Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, California became the first state in the nation to require later school start times for middle and high school students. The vast majority of teens don't get enough sleep, according to CDC surveys, at an important time in their mental and physical development. So as of this month, high schools cannot start earlier than 8.30 and middle schools no earlier than 8. Will it work? We get answers to your teen and adolescent sleep questions, which could also help adults who aren't doing much better when it comes to getting enough sleep. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. My friends with teenagers say their kids are not just grumpy when they try to wake them up early in the morning, but also so tired that they can barely move or talk. It's not their fault, says Lisa Lewis. Teens' natural circadian rhythms mean that they tend to go to sleep and wake up later than adults. And a new first-in-the-nation California law that took effect this month is designed with that in mind, mandating high schools start no earlier than 8.30 and middle schools no earlier than 8. Lisa Lewis is the author of The Sleep-Deprived Teen and advocated for California's new law. Lisa Lewis, welcome to Forum. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. So you came to advocate for later school start times from personal experience, right? Yes, I am a parent uh, and I am a parenting journalist. I have um, two kids, a teen and a recent teen, as I call him, because he's now 20. And my involvement in this really started when my son, who's my oldest, entered high school. That was August of 2015. And at that point, our local high school down where I live in Southern California started at 7.30 in the morning. So that is what propelled me initially into getting involved in this issue. Um, And from there, it it really just snowballed. As as a parenting journalist, I started to look into the issue as, as I want to do. And what I quickly realized was that this start time of 7.30, the fact that we were starting so early, was not unique to our local community. And there was already a large body of research out there showing that, in fact, 7.30 is too early. The pre- 
I laugh because my high school in Ventura County started at 730 in the morning and I was in student government. So sometimes I'd have to go to school at 645. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that is too early. I mean, it's still dark outside at that point, right? <laughs> right. What was your kid like at that time? Um, he was he was pretty quiet. He was pretty withdrawn because he wasn't very awake. You know, we were getting in the car every morning at 710 so I could get him there. This was his freshman year, so he wasn't driving, obviously. And, you know, he was there in, in body, but, you know, his mind certainly was not turned on and awake and, and alert enough to be going to school and, and learning and, and grasping and retaining concepts. So why did you learn that the answer is not to just say, hey, teenager, go to sleep earlier, go to bed earlier? So that is a key point. That, that is one of the, the first things that you know, we heard here in California throughout this whole uh, process. And that, that, that does tend to come up because I think so many people don't realize that teens have a circadian rhythm shift. And at the onset of puberty, that internal body clock for when they feel sleepy shifts to a later schedule because melatonin is not released as early as it once was in the evening, nor does it subside as early in the morning. So our teens are not feeling sleepy until about 11 o'clock at night. And again, Dr. Palaio can speak to this uh, certainly you know, in, in much more depth. But the problem when you look at it is if teens are supposed to be getting eight to 10 hours, which is the official recommendation, you, know, you just do the math. If they're supposed to be sitting at their desks at 7.30 or even seven o'clock, we have some schools in California that start that early, mandatory first period. There's just no way they can be getting enough sleep. Well, it's not anymore as of July. Uh, as we were saying, now they're mandated to start at 8.30. That's high schools, middle schools, 8. California is the first to mandate this statewide. But cities outside California have tried it. What's been the impact, Lisa Lewis? So this has been done, as you mentioned, in communities around the country. You know, there are probably hundreds that have done this over the course of the last several decades, because the research really does date back that far. Um, the issue is there's no central database, so I can't tell you exactly how many have changed their start times. But you know, the, the compelling results that, that continue to come in show that when schools move to later start times, students do indeed get more sleep. And I can just tell you a couple of the more recent studies. So up until now, one of the biggest entities to change at start times was the city of Seattle. And they did so in 2016. And they did pre and post surveys to, to take a look at what the impact was when they moved. At that point, their start times were 7.50, they moved it to 8.45. And what they found was that students had a 34 minute increase in median sleep duration which is really, really substantial. Um, and in addition, they also showed a median increase in grades too. They went up 4.5%. So that's, that, that is also significant, obviously, when you're looking at it from the school standpoint. The other one that's even more recent was 2017, Cherry Creek, which is um, a suburb in Denver. It's a pretty large area, 55,000 students in the district. Same thing, they did surveys pre and post making this start time shift. And what they found when they moved high schools from 710 to 820, the students were getting about 45 to 50 minutes more sleep each school night. Hmm. We're talking with Lisa Lewis, author of The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them 
thrive. Lisa also advocated for California's new law as co-chair of Start School Later California. And if you have reactions to this new law, these later start times, or how they'll affect you and your routines, you can share them by emailing forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Nastia tweets, wish someone cared when I was in high school. I messed up for life from having to wake up every day at 5.45 a.m. and doing homework till 11 p.m. Lisa, you cite some of the statistics, but I understand I understand it took like three go rounds for the bill to succeed here in California. Can you give us a little bit of that history and maybe what some of the opposition was? Yeah, it, it was an odyssey. Um, so the first iteration of the bill was introduced in February of 2017. Um, and it, it I actually sort of got involved in a roundabout way because as a parent advocate, I had started a chapter locally of the group Start School Later that you mentioned. But in addition, I've been writing about the issue as a journalist. And in fact, that's how I'd originally come across Start School Later. And one of the pieces that I wrote was an op-ed that ran in the Los Angeles Times in September of 2016, actually is what sparked this bill, because it was read by one of our California state senators who had a high schooler of his own. So the issue really resonated with him. And so he started looking into it. I got looped in via Start School Later. So I was involved from even before the bill was, was initially introduced back in February of 2017. But to your point, it, it did take quite some time. Um, and the senator who introduced it, Senator Anthony Portentino, really is the person who shepherded it through the entire political process. Um, you know, I, I am not a, a, a politician. This was my first involvement, you know, really, really being involved at this level. And it was a complex process. So it had to go through. Um, in California, it, it was introduced on the Senate side. So first it had to go through all the steps on the Senate side, then on the assembly, meaning multiple um, committee hearings and floor votes, got all the way to Governor Jerry Brown's desk, uh, finally by 2018, because all, all those steps took quite a bit of time, as you can imagine. And I should mention, um, I you know, was up in Sacramento testifying at one of the hearings. Dr. Palaio was there testifying at basically every single hearing that allowed outside testimony. But that bill went all the way through, both sides got to Jerry Brown's desk and he vetoed it in the fall of 2018, which was um, incredibly disappointing. Um, and, and I just wanted to, to mention what he referenced in um, his note was that he thought that this should be decided at the local level. And that was actually what we've been hearing all along from the main opposition to the bill, which was the California Teachers Association. Um, whose, whose stance essentially was that they understood all the signs that they thought they should be decided at the local level, where, of course, we were looking at this as a public health issue. And public health issues like lead paint or asbestos really aren't typically decided at the local level. So that brings us to 2018. Bill got reintroduced early 2019. Again, Senator Portentino brought it back. Um, had to go through all those same steps all over again on the Senate side, then on the assembly side, the committees, the hearings, the floor votes, got to the governor's desk again, but by this point it was Governor Gavin Newsom. And so he's the one that actually signed this into law in October of 2019, 
with a three-year implementation window. And so that is what has just gone into effect as of July 1st. Yeah, it was passed in 2019, just went into effect as of July 1st. You do in your book also get into some really interesting history as to why schools ended up starting so early. Uh, As I understand, you say that like a century ago, high schools in the U.S. started around 9 a.m. What caused it to change and get moved up? Yeah, that was really interesting because I did end up, as you mentioned, I ended up with the whole chapter because I started delving into it. It was really kind of fascinating to find that the, the, the rationale behind school start times was not students. It was based often on transportation uh, concerns. So that, so so a couple things. The first is yes, schools did used to start later about nine o'clock. Those times have drifted earlier over time. And in large part that has been driven by the needs of school busing. So, which is somewhat interesting when you think about it, because you wouldn't think, oh, that's why we have the schedules we do. But in fact, when districts were looking at budgets and looking at, well, how can we use our, you know, our buses in the the most cost-effective way possible, they decided they'll use the same fleet of buses to do all of those drop-offs and pickups for elementary, middle, and high. But because this was before the research on teen sleep was widely known, Mm. by by default, they often ended up putting teens and high schoolers in that earliest time slot. And now, of course, we know that is the opposite of what we should be doing, but those schedules have endured. I mean, I, I call them legacy schedules because really that's what they are. Well, it's really interesting to hear how this came to be. And after the break, we will be learning more about why sleep is so important for teens and really for everybody. We're talking with Lisa Lewis, who advocated for California's new law on later school start times, also co-chair of Start School Later California. It took effect this month with middle and high schools starting at 8 and 8.30 respectively. You, our listeners, were curious what you think the impact will be if you're a teen. (laughs) What do you think of the new law? If you're a teacher, school staff member, curious also what you have to say, and also just your questions about sleep and the importance of teen and adolescent sleep and how to make sure that people are getting enough of it. Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, at KQBD Forum is the number, is the place to post your online comments. You can also email forum at kqed.org and the number to call us is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. This is Forum. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow from Bad Bunny's Un Verano Sinti, Drake and Beyonce leading the revival of house music, to Netflix and TikTok returning Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill to the charts after 37 years. There's no one sound characterizing this summer, so we want to know what your song of the summer is and why. You can leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking about how California is tackling teen sleep deprivation with new school start times. And we're talking with Lisa Lewis, author of the sleep-deprived teen, why our teenagers are so tired and how parents and schools can help them. And I'd like to introduce now Dr. Rafael Palayo, who you heard mentioned before the break, clinical professor in the Division of Sleep Medicine at the Stanford University School of Medicine, also author of How to Sleep, the New Science-Based Solutions for Sleeping Through the Night. Dr. Palayo, so glad to have you on as well. Thank you so much for having me. Good morning. And we should say that you also advocated for this law and you see it as really a game changer. Why? How much sleep does a teen generally need and why is it so important? It is a game changer. I think we should be very proud in our state to be the first one to have a law that's protecting adolescent sleep health. And Lisa and I were part of a large coalition the National Sleep Foundation, Academy of Sleep Medicine, California Sleep Society, several groups, Start School Later. Uh, were involved in this, but um, I got to be in Sacramento several times. I got yelled at a few times by elected officials and folks in my efforts to do this. Um, teenagers need to wake up feeling refreshed like all of us. So stop thinking about sleep in terms of hours of sleep. You got to think about also the quality. You can be overweight huh. and malnourished. So it's not a question whether the child's waking, getting enough hours of sleep. Is the person waking up feeling refreshed? And people don't get enough sleep. They tend to be irritable and inattentive. And nevertheless, a lot of teenagers are irritable and inattentive. In general, teenagers need more sleep. So we want to shoot for about nine hours of sleep. But there's going to be some variation in that. But the way you know whether your teen's getting enough sleep or whether they can know themselves is do they sleep in on weekends? That's the real measure of this. Kids in elementary school rarely sleep in, not to the extent certainly that teenagers do. We don't tell our kids, hey, I'm going to starve you. Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, eat all you like, because Monday I'm going to starve you again. That's what we do with the school. We basically don't give them enough time to sleep during the school week, and then we sleep, Then we tell them to catch up on the sleep on weekends, which is not a biological thing to do. Mm. So that's how you can tell. If you're sleeping in on weekends a lot, more than two hours especially, you're not getting enough sleep total uh, during, during the uh, school week. Well, let me go to listener Chris in San Francisco. Hi, Chris. Hi. I was wondering if you could talk about the what's, what's going on for teens neurologically that they're in a stage of development where they are super learners and i'll take my answer off the air okay so the effects neurologically if a teen is not getting enough sleep dr palayo um you know lisa described the story of how we went through years to get this law passed and what seemed to sway the elected officials at the end when we finally got it over the hump and got the law signed, thanks to Dr. Uh, Governor Newsom and, and a lot of other supporters in Senator Portantino, was the mental health data. There was consistently more and more data coming out that adolescents who were not getting enough sleep had greater incidence of suicidal thinking and suicidal behavior. And this is a big deal. And also a greater incidence of car crashes. We don't get enough sleep, we tend to become impulsive. Lack of sleep makes us behave in an impulsive manner. And also understand that this is not just teenagers staying up late to be on the internet. This happens in other animals also. There are other primates, for example, that also, when they go through puberty, change their sleep patterns. Um, and this also balance, if you think about a tribe of people, a population of people, 
when we get older, people over age 50, like people like myself, it's harder for us to stay up at night. So you have a balance where you have the younger people being able to stay up later at night and the older folks being more alert at a different time and overall the herd or the population is protected this way because we have to watch ourselves while we're sleeping. Teenagers, when they don't get enough sleep, can be very impulsive, irritable, cranky, inattentive, maybe misidentified as having attention deficit disorder. And when you give them more sleep, you have less stimulant use, less illegal substance use, car crashes go down, less depression, improve attendance in schools, decrease suspension rates, improve graduation rates. Hmm. The RAND Corporation looked at this. If we simply get Latinos get enough sleep, the boost of the economy would be estimated $83 billion, $83 billion with a B in 10 years. And they thought that was a conservative estimate just based on decreasing car crashes. So yeah, this is a big deal for teenagers. Um, they're grumpy, not happy people in the morning. Teachers can see that when the kids show up for school. And to Chris's question about biologically, what is happening in in the brain, the biology of this to the point where it's creating mental health issues that can even lead to suicide? So there is a shifting, as Lisa, uh, Lisa mentioned, to how the timing of our melatonin secretion where comes on later. But also, teenagers seem to, when they are sleep deprived, underestimate the effects on themselves. There's something about adolescent sleep that's been studied where they think they're doing, they're performing better. They've actually taken teenagers and put them in driver simulators. So they're in, in a computer system and they sleep deprive them. And the teenagers rate themselves as being better drivers when in fact having more crashes on the simulator. So they underestimate their, their risks and overvalue the rewards of this impulsive behavior that they do when they are sleep deprived. Mm. Too many families wake up in the morning with an argument about getting up in time to go to school and an argument about going to bed at night. And the kids simply can't fall asleep earlier all of us biologically are more alert at night than any other time. Humans have a surge of alertness in the evening, and this seems to be accentuated in the teenagers. So simply telling them to go to bed earlier is not going to work. Just like I can't tell somebody with an anxiety disorder to not worry. It's more than that. It's beyond that. It's their biology makes them go to bed later. And again, talk about a population. There'll be individual teenagers that go to bed earlier and their genetic differences. But as a whole, teenagers are sleep deprived and are biologically meant to go to bed at a later time. Well, let me go to caller Anna in Thousand Oaks. Hi, Anna. Hi. Yeah, so I guess my question's related because my son, honestly, he's 12, and he's hit the teenage years hardcore, even though 12 is a little young, I guess. And he says that he doesn't get sleepy until like 1 or 2 in the morning, and even if I make him lie in his bed at midnight, he says he just won't fall asleep for hours. Um is there anything I can do to help him fall asleep? It's, it's become a real problem. Mm, anything Anna can do to help her teen fall asleep who isn't getting sleepy until one or two in the morning? I'll go to you first, Dr. Palayo, but would also love to hear, Lisa, what you think too. Dr. Palayo? So we're most alert about two hours before you fall asleep. So if anybody think about your current bed for time you fell asleep last night, if you fell asleep at midnight, you probably felt wide awake around 10 p.m. Um, so the first thing you want to do with, with a teenager, and your 12-year-old is on his way, because puberty begins, especially in girls at age uh, 12 or younger, is lock in a wake-up time. Well, actually, let me take a step back. I want the teenager or the young person to understand the importance of sleep. Just like they've been taught about nutrition and exercise, they need to see sleep as something that's of value to them. It's a form of self-care for the brain. So the first thing is the big picture. Sleeping is good for you. It's not something that we you're being punished. You don't 
you're not goodness keeps you not be a chore. So first, the kid understand the bigger picture. It's good for their brain. They're going to feel better. Once they do that, then you lock in a wake up time. So if your teenager is falling asleep at one or two o'clock in the morning, uh, make sure that you're locking in a wake up time that makes sense for their life, and then keep that same wake up time on weekends and weekdays for about three or four weeks, and they'll start to regulate their sleep. You could possibly um, try some uh, if it becomes a bigger issue. Your your doctor could recommend a, something to, they could take for their sleep, but you don't want to make it a medical issue. You really want to do it as a lifestyle thing. First step is locking in the wake up time. Logic for them and for a lot of people is that wake up depending on when they fall asleep, but the right approach is counterintuitive to them. You lock in your wake up time, not your falling asleep time. And the wake up time, once that's anchored, will start setting your falling asleep time in a very natural way. Lisa, do you have any thoughts for Anna about helping her 12 year old? Um, well, what I would add, just in, in addition to what Dr. Plyo said, some of the other um, great um, advice that I got when I spoke to some of the various experts, because really that's what I was trying to do, was sort of gather all this information into one resource for parents. But one of the things that came up um, several times, in fact, was the importance of having a wind down routine at night so that there's some kind of a sequence of steps to help prime you to go to sleep. So, you know, as opposed to say, being on social media or playing video games and then just abruptly turning them off and expecting that just like you've switched off your computer, you're gonna be able to switch off your brain and go to sleep because it just doesn't work that way. Um, and in fact, the, the guidelines, the official guidelines for the American Academy of Pediatrics are no tech use an hour before bedtime. So that would be something to implement if that hasn't already been done. But, um, and this is something that actually professional athletes do as part of optimizing their sleep is they really pay attention to things like having an established wind down routine. And this is really like what we've done all along for our kids. When you think back to when they were little, you know, I don't know about, you know, the, the color, but I know for me in my household, I had to have an elaborate routine to help get my son, my oldest, to um, be ready to fall asleep, you know, and it's reading a book and it's, you know, the snuggling and it's the, you know, sip of water and you have all these steps. Well, you're not going to do those steps, obviously, and you're not going to do it for them. But that same concept of having some kind of sequence that sort of primes you like, oh, we are shifting into it's time to start getting there for ready for bed mode. And so that ideally is not being on tech. It also involves looking at the, the overall lighting in your home, dimming the lights was another suggestion that I got several times when I spoke with the various experts, um, which is also one of the issues with tech. It, uh, the devices often are emitting blue light, which is helping um, prime us to feel alert because that's what blue light does. But then of course, if they're on tech and they're involved in things, that too is just taking away from their sleep time. So looking at all these aspects too, I think could also probably be of help. Well, let me thank Anna and read Kristen's comment who writes, I totally support the later start time. Our high school is offering more early class options this year, encouraging our students who participate in athletics to take an early class. 7.30 start time seems to defeat the purpose to me. We're hearing from listeners about their reactions to early or sorry, later start times and their reaction to the impact that early start times for high school and middle schools have had on teens and adolescents. You can join the conversation by posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, calling 866-733-6786 or by emailing your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Dr. Palayo, you mentioned medication as a as one 
potential helpful way of getting a teen to fall asleep. But when do you know if that's the right thing? And I also know that there are over-the-counter things like melatonin available, for example. Is that okay for teens and kids? The medications are just tools. So you want to really think of it from, again, from the bigger picture, how to help this person fall asleep and what lifestyle changes they're willing to do to do this. Um, if somebody has a actual sleep disorder, uh, such as uh, chronic insomnia, we might use medication. There's a condition called delayed sleep phase syndrome. Um, and everybody should look that up. Delayed sleep phase syndrome is probably the most common sleep disorder among teenagers, second only to, to overall not getting enough sleep. But delayed sleep phase syndrome, and that's a condition where people have a hard time falling asleep and they're out of sync with their biological clock in society. So melatonin can help with that because melatonin signals to the brain that night is approaching. By the way, melatonin um, is also elevated in nocturnal animals. So in a rodent, melatonin is elevated, but to them, the melatonin signals the brain that it's time to get active. So melatonin per se does not make us really drowsy so much as it lets the brain know that night's approaching. And what does that mean to you as an individual is how that's interpreted. The problem we have with melatonin in the U.S. is that it's a supplement. It's over the counter. So the quality is highly variable. So when you look at the research on melatonin, they usually talk about pharmaceutical-grade melatonin. In Europe, people are often surprised to, to hear that in Europe, uh, melatonin is a prescription uh, agent. You have to, it has to be prescribed. Uh, but in the U.S., it's, it's over-the-counter. And it's actually been studied. The quality of over-the-counter melatonin, particularly like in gummies, um, the, uh, what's on the bottle, that, what's on the label may fluctuate over 400%. So you may get inconsistent results even within brands with, with uh, melatonin because it's just not made to the same quality as pharmaceutical grade. Um, but yes, there are things that we can use and there are uh, medications that we could use if we had to, to help somebody fall asleep uh, faster. But again, the main thing is going to be is getting them to understand the importance of this. Uh, to a point about the, the electronics, yes, electronics can play a factor in this, but remember that there... Um, there are mammals, marmosets, that are shifting their, their rhythms also when they hit puberty, and they're not looking at, at the internet. So it's not just the internet. It's, it's the content of what they're looking at. And if you're just going to tell your kids, I'm taking away electronics, you can get resentment. And when people get angry, they can't sleep either. So if you're changing the electronics, make sure it's something that they're on board with, that they're agreeing to, uh, that, that they're seeing that as a way of helping them, as a tactic in the overall strategy of getting better sleep health. Well, let me go to caller Derek in Mountain View next. Hi, Derek. Hi. Um, I was calling because uh, I'm a teacher here in Mountain View at Con Lab School, which uh, since its founding has uh, been starting at 9 a.m. Hmm. Uh, and I noticed that it has a really positive effect on the students, which is great. Uh, but one of the challenges that we have is so many post-school activities start uh, while we're still in session because we start later than most other schools. And so I was wondering, how does this law going into effect um, impact programs like sports, uh, theater uh, clubs, things like that, that, uh, that traditionally start mid-afternoon that are now going to, are they going to start later? Uh, what's going to happen? Derek, thanks. Lisa Lewis? Yeah, that is a great point. And in fact, that is also the beauty of having a statewide law, because all of the schools, and obviously this it's just the public schools that are covered by this law, but many private schools already were starting later. In fact, if you look at the data, they already tended to start later. But the beauty of it is that all of the public schools are 
are now um, shifting to this start time. If they were starting earlier than 8.30 at the high school level, they will all be making that change, which shifts the entire day later, which means that they don't have to be negotiating with other schools for things like game time so that everything just shifts correspondingly later. The issue, of course, is you don't want to have things be going too late at night, nor do you want them to just start tacking things on in the morning as a workaround because that kind of defeats the purpose. Um, in fact, there was one superintendent I spoke with who's in Maine, and when they implemented this in their district, at the same time that, that the 8.30 start times went into effect, he also set limits and said there will not be before school practices, nor will we have practices that run later than, I think it was nine o'clock at night. So that's another important piece to keep in mind. Hmm. Well, Anna writes, what about the parents that have to go to work? We still drop off our kids at the gate. I think this is more for parents who are at home, moms who are at home, and have a more flexible schedule. I'm sure you heard this a lot too, Lisa Lewis, in terms of Oh, the yeah. Parts of starting early. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I will just say as a parent, I mean, I get it. I understand. And I think the key to remember is that the school schedules were not developed to mirror the standard workday, nor were they developed for student well-being. So really, I mean, we're looking at the fact that we just happen to have these current schedules in place. And because of the way everything is structured, we as parents have had to construct our lives around those schedules. I can still remember when my kids were in elementary school, the day ended at 1.52. And that meant I had to be there in person at 1.52 or I had to have arranged care for my kid. And so I'm really familiar with you know, exactly what it's like that, that we have to already do this and in most cases, we have to change our schedules as our kids move through the system. Elementary school where I am, the public system, our school started at 745. Then the middle school started at 845. And then our high school started at 730. So not only were those, you know, especially the 730 start times, clearly not good for our kids, it was a massive disruption for parents. So I absolutely sympathize. And it's sort of something we've already had to be dealing with. And this just ends up being a change. And so because mm. of how carefully constructed everything is, it, it is, you know, sometimes one of those things where the first thought is, oh my goodness, not another change. But keeping in mind why we're doing it, I think is so essential. This is a public health issue. We're talking with Lisa Lewis, author of The Sleep Deprived Teen, and Dr. Rafael Palaio, a clinical professor in the Division of Sleep Medicine at the Stanford University School of Medicine. You, our listeners, are also talking with us about what you think of California setting later start times for public high schools and middle schools. And we'll have more with all of you after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about teen sleep, how California's new start times may help teens sleep better, and the science of teen sleep with Dr. Rafael Palayo, clinical professor in the Division of Sleep Medicine at the Stanford University School of Medicine, Lisa Lewis, author of The Sleep-Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive, and you, our listeners, email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Kim writes, is it true that teens need more sleep as they are producing large amounts of serotonin at this stage of development? However, I believe the impact of digital devices and phones have decreased sleep dramatically among this demographic. It's fine to change start times, but we need more discipline and parental supervision. First, Dr. Plow, to you on this question with from Kim about large amounts of serotonin also having an impact on teens needing more sleep? My understanding of increased need for sleep is based on the fact that they're still physically growing, they have growth spurts, and they have more uh, slowly sleep. The lengthening of our bones occurs in our sleep. Your bones are actually getting longer in sleep that's been measured, and it happens during slow-wave sleep. Uh, So I think it's, it's around that time of that transition when there's reorganization of the brain happening, and lengthening of our bones is the reason that we're getting more total uh, need for sleep. It's not so much a serotonin by itself. Serotonin is actually an alerting substance. Um, so it's more likely related to the, to the increase in the growth hormone that's happening at that time and the reorganization of their brain that's requiring more time for them to sleep. So, so Dr. Palayo, can sleep deprivation as a teen lead to longer-term health consequences as an adult? Yes, I see lots of adults who describe their sleep problems at the beginning in adolescence, college years and high school years. A lot of I see people with insomnia take care of adults and children. A lot of the adults with insomnia that I see have decades of poor sleep. And when you ask them when it began, they say it began when I was a teenager. It began when they were uh, in college, but especially the teenage years. Teenagers have trouble falling asleep. But then we get uh, adults who have trouble staying asleep. But what happens is the falling asleep problems become masked, they do things in their lifestyle, their behavior to try to accommodate the difficulty falling asleep. And that leads to problems with them staying asleep later on. So yeah, this definitely interrelated for sure. Well, this listener writes, um, well, Melanie says, I'm a public school psychology teacher. When I teach a unit on sleep, my students often express skepticism that a later start time will affect their sleep. They believe they'll push back their whole schedule Start homework later, go to bed later, wake up later. What is your response to that critique? Lisa Lewis? Um, um, oh, okay, Dr. Palaya, if you wanted to jump in, feel free. No, 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 no. Lisa knows it just as well or better than I do. Uh, <laughs> but it's basically saying somebody, there's a lot of cynicism in this. And that's why you do research. So what you think the impressions are, especially if it's a science teacher, come on, look at the data. What you're saying is uh, if somebody is starving, or I'm um, saying, I'm not going to give you any more food because you're going to waste the food. The data is that if you change school districts by about an hour, 
uh, school, the time of schools, the kids go to bed a little bit later, but they get about 40 minutes more per night of sleep. So overall, that effect is they're going to get more sleep. And the data showed this over and over again. It's been replicated. Um, so you have to deal with the cynicism in the sense that, oh, they're just going to stay up later. They don't really do that. They, what they actually do is they take advantage of it and get more sleep. And that's what you have to look at. You have to look at the outcome data, not the impression of what you think may happen. Look at the outcome data. Well, the other thing, Lisa, that I think both of these comments sort of suggest is just the extent to which teens' lives have gotten very busy. <laughs> um, and you have talked about this as one of the things that contributes to a lack of sleep among teens and, and the need for sort of cultural and social expectations of teens' lives to shift potentially as well. Absolutely. So from a um, policy perspective, we know that looking at what time schools start is the single biggest change that we can make. And that is what has driven our new California law, because that is what is the official recommendation from pretty much every single major medical and public health group out there. But to your point, there are also other factors that are impacting our teen sleep. And a huge one is the fact that they often are overscheduled. It does feel to me that things have really ramped up over the last generation or so. When I look back on my high school years and sort of what was quote unquote expected in terms of what you needed to do to prepare in order to get into college, et cetera, it feels like the bar really has gotten so much higher than it used to be. The number of AP classes even that you know, students are often taking or sort of feel like they should be taking well, when you think about the fact that an AP class is college level information, a college student is only taking what, three or four classes and that's considered a full load. Whereas sometimes you'll have kids in high school, they've got six periods, perhaps they're taking six classes at that level. So it's truly a, a, a larger workload than an actual college student would have. And you look at that, you look at sports and it's not just sports now, it's club sports. I mean, all of this adds up. So the cumulative impact really can be such that there isn't even a window left in that schedule of eight to 10 hours for them to you know, attain what they should be getting in terms of sleep. There's actually a terrific tool for this. One of the, um, one of the many um, experts that I spoke to for this is um, a woman who co-founded a group called Challenge Success, which is there in the Bay Area. Her name is Dr. Denise Pope. And one thing she said to me, which really I just stuck with me was that success is not just about grades and test scores. And I think that's a message that parents really need to take to heart because in our quest to, you know, have them be successful, we are, you know, implying that they need to be doing all of these things and they're just overwhelmed and they're doing it, but something has to fall off of the table. And what usually ends up falling off is getting enough sleep. Well, let me go to Patrick in San Rafael. Hi, Patrick. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, so I think in a perfect world, certainly uh, getting teens more sleep, uh, there's, there's kind of no argument against that. Um, the problem I, I'm, I am seeing is the mandating of this at the state level. In a perfect world, all schools have enough resources to be able to afford a bus service that will get all the kids to school at, the, at different times and um, and communities where parents um, can drop their kids off at the same time or can drop their kids off at different times. Um, the reality is that the, the, uh, there are schools out there and communities out there that don't have these types of resources. 
So you've got parents that are um, struggling to get their kids to school at the same time, or if they have to drop them off early, um, is there a, a morning daycare program? And can a local um, school that's already strapped for funds afford to have a local morning day uh, program and an afternoon program for these uh, students mm-hmm. and for these parents? Yeah. So I just think that um, the, it's the, the issue is not so much whether um, sleep is healthy for these students. It's, there's no question. It, it certainly is. But I think the issue is that if you don't have give communities flexibility to be able to respond to the needs of their their community and their district, then you're creating problems that are really going to fall on people in uh, lower income communities. So I'll take my answer off the air. Yeah. Well, Patrick, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Uh, Lisa Lewis, your thoughts on Patrick in terms of especially the disproportionate impact on lower income communities. Well, it's, it's an interesting point because I think what we really need to keep in mind is that right now, the schedules that we have in place are not necessarily working for a large portion of our parents. There is no one perfect school schedule out there that mirrors because there's no one work schedule. I mean, when you look at who are the employers, the largest employers in the U.S. other than the government are Amazon and Walmart. And those are workers who are not working a traditional office job with traditional office hours. They are doing shift work. They are working overnight. They have schedules that vary monthly, maybe even weekly. So just as an example, there was just a student I saw interviewed earlier this week in San Diego. He's going to be a senior, one of the high schools there. And what he said was that it was hard because his mom worked the night shift and she got off at 6 a.m. in the morning. And because of that, he was consistently getting there late because he was doing a zero period. And because of that, he got a D in his citizenship grade. So he said, actually, this is going to help him. So I think it's just important to keep in mind that there are so many different um, work schedules out there and so many different, um, you know, needs. Um, But in terms of also the the care programs before and, and after, two things I would say. The first is sometimes some of those resources can be shifted if they were after school to before school for the portion of kids that might need that, which might only be a small portion of the entire student body. But also by the time our kids are in high school, they're far more independent. So it's not a care situation like at my elementary school, you know, the Y opened at 630 in the morning for parents who had to drop off their kids that early, which obviously isn't optimal, but that was the reality. Well, you don't have that. By the time your kid's a teen, you know, they can probably get themselves up. They can often get themselves to school. First of all, some of them are driving. The rest of them, some of them may be walking, some of them may be biking, some of them may, you know, take the bus. So in a lot of cases, they're not necessarily depending on parents to the same degree as the elementary schoolers. So that's just another piece to keep in mind too. But it does vary in communities and and, and that um, the need to address the situation in each specific community is real. And that's also why there was a three-year implementation window for this so that these discussions could be held and that these kind of issues could be raised, identified, and addressed. Well, this listener writes, nine o'clock start time has been amazing. My son wakes himself independently, has plenty of time to get ready, and even started riding his bike to school. It's been such a positive transition into middle school. I'm so disappointed that Long Beach Unified is changing middle schools to an eight o'clock start time in reaction to this new regulation. And actually, another listener writes, interestingly enough, this law has impacted the Long Beach Unified School District the opposite way in which it is intended. Middle school's former nine o'clock start time is now eight o'clock. The reason 
being is busing. Very frustrating, though uh, it's no earlier than eight, correct? Lisa Lewis is the, is the language correct. in the law? For middle schools, no earlier than eight. And even that change was designed to provide additional flexibility so that middle and high school are not both required to start at 8.30. Middle schools can start as early as eight, and which mm. can help where there's a, an issue with transportation. Like but what do you bus. have to say to these Long Beach uh, parents? <laughs> Well, I would agree that change is, is certainly not in keeping with the, the spirit or the purpose of why this change is being made. Um, if they already were starting at a time that, that was optimal for student health, which it sounds like they were pushing it earlier, certainly isn't gonna help them. Um, but changes like that do get made. And I think that really illustrates why it's so important that overall this is being addressed at a statewide level, because otherwise so many communities have made decisions that really are not being made with student health and well-being in mind. We're talking about California's new law that sets later start times for middle and high schools and the science of teen sleep, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to David in San Francisco. Hi, David. Yeah, hi, good morning. Go you know, I was just, I didn't really hear you talk too much about uh, diet, the, hmm. the, how diet might play into that, because my kids are kind of not soda drinkers, and I always think they're great sleepers because of that. Yeah. Um, do, do you know anything about how diet might also have a impact on bad sleep habits or, you know, grumpy mornings? <laughs> Dr. Palayo. <laughs> sure. The, um, they're going to be individual family decisions that you'll make. Uh, regarding nutrition and just lifestyle reasons. The idea of the law is that the government cannot force you to go to school before 8.30 in the morning. You can go to earlier classes if you want to. They can have electives, but you cannot be mandated to go before 8.30 in the morning. And that's the issue of the big issue of the law because it's a public health issue. But the law acknowledges the importance of individual families making decisions for the health of their family, of their of their children, and nutrition is part of it. So Large meals before going to bed can cause, for example, heartburn that can cause worsening sleep apnea and can make people not, not sleep as well. Uh, the caffeine uh, overlooked. We can have a whole show just on caffeine consumption by teenagers. Caffeine is marketed directly to teenagers. High caffeine drinks. I've seen things with cartoon characters on it that have 300 milligrams of caffeine per can. So there's a lot of caffeine consumption. Caffeine lasts a lot longer than people think, over six hours for some of us. So... Yes, you will individually and as a family make decisions for the welfare of your uh, of your children. But the beauty of this is that the government cannot impose on your child's deprivation um, the way it had been up until now. Dreams, by the way, dominate the last third of the night. So we're not just sleep depriving our children. When you wake up a kid early, you're dream depriving them. We always say to them, follow your dreams. And what we do is we're cutting off the, the chance of the dream. There's no doubt that getting them more sleep will make them healthier. Well, Cole writes, when I entered high school, I was 4'11". By the start of my sophomore year, I was 5'8". By graduation, I was 6 feet. Growth requires sleep, and throughout high school, I needed about 10 hours of sleep a night. Unfortunately, I was never tired till midnight, yet had to be at school by 8 a.m. Another listener writes, I work at a school that is an early adopter of this. Chronic absenteeism and lateness have increased at our school since the later start time was adopted. And Sue writes, just curious, have most high schools been starting earlier than 830? I grew up in Michigan many years ago. We started at nine. 
Lisa Lewis, the extent to which I think there are also some comments about just how big a deal this is. How many school or school districts will this affect? Do you know who have not had an 830 time in the state of California? You know, I, I wish I could answer that question, but there is no central database of all the school start times. So finding that out really would entail going on an individual basis to every district. And even within districts, there can be varying start times. Uh, but what I can tell you is in 2017, uh, there was a survey that was done. This was the National Teaching Principal Survey. And at that point, the average start time in the US was 8 a.m. for high school. But more than 40% of them were starting earlier than that. And more than 10% were starting before 7.30 in the morning. Um, and in California, the average start time was practically the same, was 8.04 for our high schools. But again, that's the average. And I do know, I know of at least one high school that's um, in north of Los Angeles where their first period starts at 6.55. Hmm. Dr. Palio, one last thing I wanted to ask you is, with this question of how big a deal this is, do you think that there are cultural changes that we need to make as a society about how we view sleep? I'm thinking about how we really value the early bird gets the worm, even sure. that if we've been able to function well on a little bit of sleep, we kind of carry that as a badge of honor. Yes. Um, the schools that uh, have had the most impact on this, the most benefit from doing this and that should have made the changes are the lower performing schools. There are real healthcare disparities and sleep encapsulates a lot of these healthcare disparities. And when you give the chance to the kids to get more sleep, it's precisely those lower performing schools that have the improvement in graduation rates. Um, what we really want people to think of is sleep is making a priority in their lives. And teenagers are really good about, in a way being self-centered in a good way, thinking about themselves, and they're more aware of nutrition and the importance of exercise. And we want sleep to be a part of that. That's one of the things we're trying to teach the kids and teach the parents because the kids are modeling after the parents in a sense. And society is sleep deprived. Um, there's nothing going to make you feel better than a good night of sleep. Very few things in life will make consistently healthier than getting a good night of sleep. And nothing will make you feel worse probably than having a horrible night of sleep. So again, think of the quality of your sleep, not just the hours of sleep. Um, and I think there is, is a definitely a cultural change. The fact that people now have sleep trackers are making more aware of their sleep. And again, they're pros and cons of sleep tracking sleep, but there's greater awareness of them. So yes, um, you see this also with during the, with the pandemic, people getting more sleep than ever. Um, anyway, thank you so much for your time and thanks for your interest in yeah, this. Yeah, well, thank you for being on. Dr. Rafael Palayo, clinical professor in the Division of Sleep Medicine at Stanford University, Lisa Lewis, author of The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them. Thanks to listeners. Thanks to Susie Britton for producing today's segment. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Don't try to wake me in the morning Cause I will be gone Don't feel bad for me Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.